You're listening to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast, fortnightly conversations about running a business as a non-technical founder. I'm Laura. And I'm Nathan. Join us as we navigate the developer-dominated world of entrepreneurship, bootstrapping, and beyond. In today's episode, we're going to talk about building and running a SaaS during a recession, what you can do and how you can not only survive, but thrive. And I don't know if we are technically in a recession or not. How's things going in Spain? I don't know if it's been termed or coined the recession yet but yeah it's definitely i mean everyone's talking about it and what's going on and obviously the the uh the svb bank in silicon valley last week and things aren't things aren't good yet everything prices have gone up in spain there's rents going up you know it's impossible to find anywhere to rent anymore food prices so i think even if they're not calling it a recession yet i think we the public are pretty much (laughs) there already yeah, that's how I feel as well. Everything, the cost of everything's going up. It's what I'm hearing from everyone around. In the States, I, I quick, did a quick Google. The US is not in a recession. But again, there, everything is just going up as well. Like last time we went to visit, it was so expensive just for normal groceries, um, similar to here in the UK. Just It seems like everyone's just being pinched at the minute. So mm. I don't. I've noticed with Client Portal that... This year and a lot of last year wasn't as good, hasn't been as good as previous years. I'm definitely seeing like, and from talking to people, you know, they're all saying similar things. You know, I'm really interested, but I'm just being, I just can't afford it right now. So I thought it'd be good to do an episode on what to do when this happens, because this is, this isn't anything new, like recessions happen, downturns happen. Um, And I came across a thread by Patrick Campbell, who was the guy who made and then subsequently sold ProfitWell. And I bookmarked this thread. We'll obviously link to it in the show notes. And I refer to it constantly because I think it's so, so useful. And so what I thought we'd do for this episode is just go through the different points that he um, recommends in the thread as to what to do um, during a recession, which areas to focus on, which areas to not focus on, and we can see, like, are we, do any, are we doing any in our business? Um, are we going to implement any? Because there's some really good ideas. And he backs it up with um, really interesting data, obviously, being everything. The, the data is there for everything, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I think the interesting thing as well, and we were just saying now before we started recording, is that regardless of where you are in your, in your SaaS business, um, I think there's something here that can be applied to, to work to the stage that you're at. So I think it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting read and something definitely to look up. Yeah, exactly. So if we go through them, so I'll do a quick summary of what they are, and then we'll just go through them point by point. So what he recommends is um, during a downturn, well, actually, I want to preface this by saying that I'm not so worried about the current downturn at the minute, because I, I think at the beginning, I was a little bit worried. But then after, you know, talking to people and researching, I know that this is going to end like we are going to come out of it actually watching the crown on netflix helped me see that like the amount of like crisis things that the queen lived through and all that stuff (laughs) it all just kind of comes back eventually and i was like yeah that's really inspiring so i'm not too worried because i think that 
my goal, as long as I can survive right now when things are a little bit tough, um, that's just my only goal. I'm not necessarily looking to grow, but I just want to survive. So when this ends, which it will, I have full confidence that it will, um, everything will be fine. So what Patrick recommends doing is first attack costs. So get rid of your expenses, um, shore up customers, accelerate cross-sells, new current segments, slash discounts. So halve your discounts. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, increase accounts on mass, draft off anxiety and go after competitors. So there's a lot there. Um, but if we mm. start with attack costs, I mean, this is a pretty easy one. What's the first thing you do when everything's going up and you're being squeezed is you get rid of some products. Um, you get rid of, you go through your expenses, get rid of stuff. I think that's a pretty simple one. But one thing that I do, which I think has been really helpful in terms of not just getting rid of costs, but preventing me from signing up to things that I don't necessarily need, is I've started to force myself, anytime I want to buy a new subscription software, because as you know, subscription software, you know, it's, you're paying every single month indefinitely, which is a big risk. What I do now is that I refuse to sign up to them until I've already built the habit and done the thing that it wants me to do. So for example, CRM software. So this is something I've been looking into a lot recently. They're fairly pricey, um, but I don't even keep my current CRM, which is a spreadsheet up to date very well. So why do I think that just spending money on software would necessarily change that? Because it might not. Um, there's so many times I've signed up to software and with all the... That's the promise though, right? They, that's the, the age old promise, you know, get them from the spreadsheet to this new easy solution. But you still have to put them in the spreadsheet. Like you still have of to, course, yeah. <laughs> you still have to do that thing. So after you meet someone, after you have a call, you have to do it. Um, and the habit is the difficult thing to do, right? So what I have told myself is I'm not allowed to sign up to CRM software until I have consistently been updating my spreadsheet and keeping on top of it and actually using the data in it for like maybe I don't know like six months or so I haven't had a exact timeline and that kind of forces me to just use what's already free um, and actually a lot of the time I find that I can continue using the free thing and I don't need to sign up to the software uh, benefit as well when you're using something that is free like Google Spreadsheets or Google Docs notes app or something reminders app is that they can't raise the prices on you and they can't lock you in they don't have all your content you've got it so mm. that sort of helped me with keeping my costs low i don't know if you have any well that's exactly what i'm using now actually for crm <laughs> it's google sheets just the, the typical i think which is essentially what we find in the crms anyway which is you know sort of who they are contact contacted answered replied no go away all that kind of stuff so but I think it's definitely something that, and it, but the flip side of this, of course, as well, is that the businesses who are cancelling are doing the exact same thing. You know, they are cancelling all those unnecessary or they see as unnecessary subscriptions to go back to what you're talking about, which is the spreadsheet or the Google Doc or the, or the, uh, you know, just whatever, pen and paper. So, no, but for sure, going through that list of those, should we say, the vitamin as opposed to the, uh, the what's the was the not the paracetamol the uh you know painkiller the painkiller yeah and, and i think he, depending how bad, bad it gets 
it can get to the point where the painkiller goes as well, you know, and you will just go back to that manual system. Yeah. Uh, if costs are getting out of hand and everything is going crazy, uh, as it kind of is now, I mean, we said before about prices and stuff. It's, it's, I think shopping here has doubled in price in the last two years. So food shopping. Uh, so yeah, I think people will just cut where they can. And especially if you're a business, I think with a business, it's a, if you're a one person business, you know, like yourself or like me or like many other kind of indie founders, whatever, it's a bit more tricky because it's, it's a lot more personalized, but if you get like go further up the chain where you do have payroll and where you do have, you know, credit cards going out via different departments and staff and stuff. Then I think it's, it can be a lot trickier maybe to cut those costs or to look where you can, or you're certainly going to upset people by doing it anyway, your own people, maybe. It's definitely easier when it's just your business. And because I think you care more as well, because it's your, you see it as your money rather than your business's mm. money. Whereas if I was working for someone and I was spending their money, it wouldn't be as important to me necessarily to slash the costs. But um, I like your point of it's interesting because we're talking about sla like getting rid of our subscriptions while also talking about how to convince people not to give exactly. up their subscriptions. <laughs> so it's like a super strange. So there's got to be a counter. There's there's got to be a counter to that, hasn't there? Yeah. To, 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 to bring that money in. And I, and I think he does actually talk about that in a bit, doesn't he? With, yeah, uh, exactly. Expansion revenue and things like that. Yeah. So the next thing is to shore up customers. So what he means by that is, um, I think what he's saying is the biggest win that you can get is to try to keep customers who are on the verge of canceling and get customers back who have just canceled with a reactivation campaign. So the easiest win, and it's something I don't do with client portal. And oh my goodness, if I, like, I need to do this is just reduce card failures. I need to look into how to do it. And I know it's going to be something that's fairly simple. At least I think it's going to be something simple, but that would just, uh, apparently that has a massive um, impact on, you know, how much, how much money you retain um and then well, yeah, he, like, he says here like reactivation campaigns every 60 days can bring back to 55 percent of uh revenue which is significant i think yeah <laughs> if uh, if that's ongoing and just looking at my when i look at client portal the amount of people who cancel versus the amount of people who whose cards fail it's a lot more cards failing like people who would mm. potentially be keeping client portal and it's just crazy that I haven't done anything about this yet, but this is why I've bookmarked this thread because I plan on going through everything that he's, um, almost almost everything that he's suggesting. So it's things like, you know, converting people up to an annual plan is apparently a really good way to a client portal this isn't relevant to because it's already an annual plan. Or with client portal, it could be getting people on the lifetime licenses that we have. So getting your current customers who have already paid you to either pay you more or stay is like one of the biggest things that you can do, which, um, yeah. I'm, do you think, do you think that you've felt maybe less impact because you, your, your, should we say in air quotes, lowest plan is the yearly plan as opposed to the traditional monthly subscription? It's so hard to say because sometimes I wonder if I had a monthly subscription, would I technically, uh, have more profit? I don't know. I think people signing up to a yearly subscription is easier to kind of easier to digest in a way than signing up to a monthly thing. Uh, at least it is for me. Like, and the lifetime licenses, when I put those in, they get a surprising amount of people 
um, who just buy the lifetime licenses outright, which shouldn't actually be a surprise because personally, I always looked for lifetime licenses because I don't like monthly payments. Um, if it's mm-hmm. something I think I'm going to use for a few years, I'll see if I can get a lifetime license. So it makes sense, definitely. So the next thing is the to accelerate cross-sells. So this is kind of like what we're just talking about, but he says in the past four downturns, expansion revenue stayed consistent or increased. Um, so basically, what can you offer people? You know, could you offer more products? Um, which I think he talks about in more detail a bit further down. Can you do, yeah, can you do add-ons? So find features that less than 40% of people use and turn them into an add-on. I, I, was, I, was, in, I was intrigued by that one because that particular... So find features that less than 40% of your current users use, take them out and then start charging people for them. I thought, the first thing I thought was, surely you get a backlash on that because there are still, there's still a percentage of your customers using that and all of a sudden you're taking it away from them and going to start charging. I would be really scared personally to, to implement that one. Um, yeah, that one didn't sit right with me either, to be honest. I don't think I would do that personally with client portal but I have always thought about add-ons like new Mm. features that people want that I think this is such a big feature I I think it needs to be an add-on with its uh, as its own product so it can have its own development schedule and that kind of thing it could be a really good idea but obviously when you're in a downturn investing in that kind of thing isn't necessarily possible like do I have the funds to be able to commission a new add-on to be developed as a non-tech founder i couldn't do that myself so i would mm. need a developer to do that for me um, but it's so, i mean even sort of if we move from SaaS to to the you know to the consulting the freelancing space they always say it's far easier to make more money from existing clients than it is to go out and find new ones so this whole yeah. idea of um you know the add-ons the upgrades the adding sort of similar products or another product within your umbrella to you know any way to make any kind of cross sale it just seems like a a really smart and and i would say obvious play but that said i I think a lot of people a lot of businesses don't don't do this uh, or don't do it well yeah because you're so focused on just getting new customers like new customers is the benchmark you're trying to sell your product to as many people as possible but actually it's existing customers that are more likely to buy because they already trust you they already know you it makes sense, um, but it's just difficult when you have to create something. So, you know, you could create a digital product or like a course or, you know, something, but you still have to create it. And then that takes you away from your main product. And how do you juggle all that? Which I think is why he said with the add-ons, find features that less than 40% use and turn it into an add-on. It's just if you're comfortable doing that, that's completely up to you. But he gives some mm-hmm. other ideas. So obviously additional products we just spoke about. Scaling pricing with usage and value, that's a really common one. You know, mm. your email, as your email list grows, you pay more for your software. That makes sense. And then he says one I that's think, under oh carry on. I was just gonna say to that point, because if you know, if I think back to Nusi, pretty much all the SaaS that was around at that time, 2014 through to 2019, it was all uh, the pricing structure was very it was the same pretty much everywhere else, except for the really uh, say enterprises where it was you know your blocks so you're up to five people or up to ten people or but it seems now that more and more SaaS are charging per person and trying to you know increase revenue on those additional seats um, as opposed to 
I don't know if you've seen that as well, or maybe it's just the kind of software I'm looking at. I don't know, but it seems to have gone the other way now where the, the pricing structures do seem to be switching over to either, you know, by usage or literally by the number of people who are using the software as opposed to, so if I look back on Nusi, there, there was, I think the agency account, which was the biggest then I think was it's like up to five people or whatever, or 10 people or whatever it was. And we ha- we'd have like 20 people uh, using the same emails and, and logging in from different places, different IP addresses. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people have caught onto that now. And, and again, that's a lot of p- potential revenue that you're losing out on from maybe sticking to sort of more traditional pricing, pricing, uh, models. Yeah. I'm definitely seeing an increase in the amount pay per seat, which is fine for me because like I'm pretty solo, but when you do hire someone, <laughs> It is. It does get expensive because you want to add them to all your, all the different software, and then it's just, it just kind of goes up quite quite a lot. But the really important thing to remember is to if if you don't work, stop working with them is to remove them, because um, I think that's where yeah. a lot of people forget to do that. Especially the bigger companies, they're probably paying for a lot of seats that they're not using, which is great for the SaaS, I suppose, but not so great yeah. for the actual business. I guess you never you can never please everyone on both sides. Yeah, you know with the, the, the pricing model you use, because I know some people detest the per seat as a user model and you know, and others and others love it because some say, well, it's the fairer way to pay and others say, yeah, but you're, you know, you're making me pay, you know, X, whatever, when if I was just up to 10 seats, then I wouldn't have to pay anymore. But yeah, it's, it's impossible to please everyone. So you got to price the way that works for you. I was nervous when I made client portal into a um, yearly subscription, but I had to because you know, people expect updates now on software products. Like they don't expect it's just going to stay the same. We're kind of used to having software constantly improve. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be investment into the product. So mm. I was a bit nervous about that. But well, what was the pricing it. before or was it free? Um, I think it was the same pricing, but it was just, it was a one-off fee. This was when I first launched it though. So like right at the very beginning. Um, and I quickly realized, you know, with even things like the support and stuff, you know, paying a developer, I couldn't justify only having new customers be the source of income for client portal. It needed to be, it needed to be yearly. So I I get the subscription model. I really do, but it's because companies need it now, because like I say, people, people expect these um, software to change now, but if it's going to change constantly, then someone needs to pay for that. So yeah, pricing is, pricing is tricky, but Okay, so the next one is to, it says nuke current segments. So this one I don't have an awful lot to say on because it's not something I can really do at this time. But it, he basically says some verticals that you target are dormant for a while. Um, they'll take your call, but they won't buy. So I guess these are people who are most hard hit by the recession. Other verticals uh, will actually get a massive tailwind. So try to shift your budget to these different verticals and focus on them. For me, this is too hard because even though I have so many different verticals that use client portal, I don't really have the insight and I don't know how to get it to see um, who who is struggling and who is thriving at the moment. And mm. really, I don't have enough in place to just go all in and target one particular vertical. But it was a it was definitely an interesting point. It's just not one I can necessarily use. I don't know about features. It sounds expensive to make that switch. So you've either got to invest in advertising and just, I mean, my initial impressions are you've either got to invest in advertising and just throw stuff out there and see what sticks in 
in whichever vertical okay so it's working here it's not working there it's not working there it's working here or yeah. you know for, for smaller businesses you have to invest a lot of time and you have to try and gather data that perhaps you don't even have um and again i even if it's your own time i think again it, it's something that could potentially be very expensive for you because you're going to be taking i mean what are essentially guesses uh who could be doing well right now who could this product also be a good fit for that i hadn't thought about before which to be honest you know i think most of us have probably got in the back of our mind anyway like oh, who else could my product you know be a good fit for because it's just it's good for us right it's good for revenue so i see that one as being either a well both either very time intensive or expensive especially for you know the smaller players i think yeah i think that one's definitely targeted to bigger businesses than mine though the next one is slash discounts this one was an interesting one um yeah, he basically yeah, says <laughs> yeah he basically says that discounts over 20 percent have double the churn rates so like the higher the discount the more people will churn yeah which yeah. is so well, interesting I, I can see the sense in that if we think about places like AppSumo, you know where they give lifetime deals on places I mean, I think it's fair to say they're probably known as the worst customers ever for any for for any piece of software. Not all of them, obviously, but like <laughs> in general. Yeah. So I think the less the less you pay for something, it's true that the less you pay for something, the less value you give to it. For whatever reason, I'm not a psychologist, but you know, there's that perceived value, isn't it? Um, so I think it, it makes sense that the larger the the discount, the the more likely you know you are to 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 churn out earlier. I think. Yeah, because I suppose the bit a big discount comes across as a little bit desperate and like, oh, I'm I'm struggling and I need customers now, and that makes you think, well, why are you struggling? Is this not a good product? You know that kind of thing. So it, you're mm. probably right that it just makes you think, makes people think, hmm, I'm not quite sure. And about especially this if one. it's a temporary discount as well, like a lot of SaaS give first three months twenty percent off, and then all of a sudden when that twenty percent stops, you're like. Oh, okay. So the price has gone up significantly, especially yeah. as he's saying, you know, if it's higher than 20%, then you could be paying significantly more. And all of a sudden you don't feel like you're getting that same value anymore. So and maybe that's part of the reason as well, why churn is so much higher on those discounted accounts. So he basically says to cut them in half and nothing will happen except more revenue. And I think, um, you know, if you think about it, if I, well, if I am going to buy a product, I've probably already decided that I want it. And then a little discount would probably push me over the edge to just get it now rather than next week, for example. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like you say, maybe a bigger discount would make me think, oh, okay, this is coming across a bit dodgy. I don't know if I, I, don't, I might reassess whether I actually want this or not. So I, it makes sense when you think about it. It just doesn't sound like it should make sense in the same yeah. way that it doesn't sound like customers who pay less will be worse customers because you'd think, oh, they got a fantastic deal. They should be so grateful. But no, that it's it's not. It's usually they want more. Um, the the, re always. the really interesting thing about that is though is that if you think about the one hundred percent free, <laughs> as in freemium accounts, like they say that, um, and I know we'll get to this in a bit, but the LTV when people do convert from a freemium account is far higher than anybody that was ever going to pay you from the beginning as well, which is kind of really flips that on its head. It's um, I'm sure there's lots of data as well and theories around why that is, but I find that super interesting. But anyway, we'll yeah. get to that in a, in a bit. I mean, that is literally the next point. So the next one oh, is, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So these were, these five were the points of what you can do to, you know, prevent it or stop it from being really bad. And now the next three points are what you can do to 
make a recession really good for you. Um, mm -hmm. And the first one is increase in counts on mass. So basically you want to get as many people in, even if they're not paying you anything as you can. So implement freemium, which is like what you're saying that people will be more likely to, you know, their LTV will end up being higher overall, which, you know, could be going back to the habit thing that I was talking about. You know, if they use your product for free, yeah, they true, build yeah. the habit and then they just can't imagine them not having it in their life anymore. So um, they go for the, and if you've given That's them true. a really it's, good experience. Yeah, yeah, it's easier to build a habit when it's free, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. when you're having to pay for it, it always, you know, literally and figuratively costs a lot more. So yeah, exactly. So it makes sense. Um, but yeah, what he suggests is, what he says is that you want people now, you want people in your circle now. Um, you're sort of playing the long game. So you're planting seeds and you're going to harvest later. So while things are bad, focus on, you know, implementing a freemium product or, you know, something like that, getting people in. Do you have any experience with freemium? No. So I can't really do that for client portal because it's a WordPress plugin. Um, yeah. Well, so you can actually. So if I had it, I can have a WordPress plugin in the plugin WordPress database thing, but I just, I haven't done it. It's just difficult for client portal specifically. I don't really know how I would do it, how I would implement mm. it. And it's not something I've thought about and I've never done it in the past. Yeah. But I don't know if you had with Newsy. I can't remember. No, we, not, not back then. Freemium, I don't, it just wasn't really, you know, back then everyone was like, you put credit card up front which again is almost unheard of now and you had your trial and that was it. So freemium was never really on the cards for me. And I think back then I probably wouldn't have been the least bit interested anyway, but now I am at least interested in learning more about it. And I've actually been watching a few sort of webinars and reading more about it. The problem is, and, and he points it out here in, in the, in the thread is that you need to be able to afford to do freemium because it's not a pricing strategy. You know, you could be waiting a year, say, for a, a trial user to convert into a paid customer. So if you are a bootstrap founder or, you know, self-funded or whatever, that might not be, that might not be viable. You know, you might need money coming in right now because you're still going to have support costs. You're still going to have server costs. You know, you're still going to have everything else going on. It's definitely something that interests me now, but yeah, um, I'm guessing that you need to also have paid accounts as well. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you're going to struggle equally. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, the support as well, because I, I can't remember, I feel like I saw a stat that said the support for freemium was a lot higher than the support for paid customers. Maybe it's because it's imagine. part of the onboarding, which it, so it would generally be higher than at that point anyway. But I don't I know. Freemium is like having thousands of AppSumo customers every week or something. Like yeah. Because <laughs> if that's the case, then yeah, support would just be a nightmare. Um, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I, I did AppSumo. I think you know a long time ago and I still struggle with the support of AppSumo customers. Yeah. yeah it's difficult. Yeah, we it's, did it. I can see why a lot of products that go on AppSumo end up failing and um, it really upsets the customers and I get it because it's like you've invested in a product. But it was your fault. <laughs> well, it was. it's <laughs> not it, really though, is it? It's like the whole no, model I mean, just shouldn't exist. Like yeah. you shouldn't be able to buy something and you know. I think it would be a lot better if you if it was just something off at a tangent now. But if it was just something along the lines of buying a yearly license discounted instead of a lifetime, that's the problem. Yeah, the that's what it needs thing. to be. Absume needs to like understand that it's serving two audiences. It needs to help. It needs to help the product succeed as well as get people a really good deal. So mm. yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult one. It's um maybe we can talk about that one day. <laughs> 
But yeah, so the next one is to draft off anxiety. So what it says is like you, people are worried. Um, everyone's a bit worried. Everyone I speak to is just getting hammered in all these different directions. Um, and so you need to be focused on community building. And this is exactly what I'm doing with Client Portal now. So this is the one that I- thought I, of that. As soon as, as soon as I read this segment, I thought about you and what you're doing this year. Yeah. Yeah. This is the exact thread it came from. So I read all of these and this one um, kind of stood out to me, aside from some of the things like reducing the card failures and that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm doing things like, you know, I'm sorting out my automation, getting like cross-sells and upsells and stuff worked in there but yeah the community one I think is is really good because um, he basically says you know you want to create brand ambassadors so you want to just go all in on helping people now you're not necessarily trying to sell to them right now you're just trying to keep them front of, you're trying to keep yourself front of mind um, and be sort of a go-to kind of person or company that they would you know go to in the future um, the product that they really want but they can't necessarily justify right now. So, you know, we talked about the painkiller versus vitamin. Um, mm. Client portal is more of a vitamin. It is, it is a nice to have. Um, I think it's a very nice to have, but it is a nice to have. So, but people really want it and they, so I, I want to keep them engaged, keep helping them. So when things are going better, they will hopefully without much hesitation end up being yeah, a because you're. So out of the four points that he particularly sort of uh, highlights, is, you know, publishing more content. I don't know if you're necessarily doing that, but the webinars as well, he says, do a lot of webinars, in-person events, and then trying to build out the community off of that. And so you're definitely pushing in that, pushing in that direction, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. The content part's difficult for me because I am... Um... Actually, I have really bad RSI, so repetitive strain injury, and typing is really difficult for me. So mm. even though I like writing, and I, I think I'm a decent writer, I, it's just so hard for me to do content because it just it's too painful. And I've tried like to hire people for it, and it's not so far. It hasn't gone well. I'm still trying. But to me, that was just like a, I can't do it. Um, so yeah, webinars and workshops is kind of, I can still do the community thing and hopefully make content out of that you know if i'm building all these mm. assets and make content out of that um, and i think it's more engaging as well like it's more it's nice to have people who actually show up live to a call and you know they get to know me and they get to know the company a bit more they get to ask questions um yeah it's well there's really a stronger nice. brand a stronger brand association then isn't there if they can come along and see you in person and ask questions and sort of learn from you in real time as opposed to a blog post even if you do see a little avatar there at the end of it it doesn't mean an awful lot yeah exactly because and people know that it could have been written by anyone it could have been written by ai so mm. a workshop <laughs> like you i'm right there you can see me you know it's me um so what i'm doing for client portal is so with this point i'm doing three different types of workshops i think i've spoken about this on a previous episode but it's basically I'm helping people become better service providers. So I think we talked about that before. So just like free training, no pitch, no strings attached, just trying to help them get better at, you know, business. Um, the second one is demos of client portal. So people who are interested, they can come and see how the, you know, how the product works, what it is, get their questions answered about client portal if they are interested in buying now. And then the third one is to help people who are customers. So help them get set up with client portal, help them make the most of it, help them improve their processes. And again, just get questions answered. So I've got these three 
workshop community building areas that for the rest of the year I'm going to be doing one a month and um, just getting to know my audience and community building and then hopefully when we come out of the other end of it um, I'll have a strong community behind me who hopefully like what I do and like client portal so yeah I don't know if you um, because I think we spoke about so with feature flux you were thinking of maybe doing something similar I know you recently did an in-person event as well was that for feature flux? well <laughs> I think yeah last time we spoke mentioned this I think and you you said briefly about the webinars you're going to be doing this year and you said I think we said about it on the podcast that you know maybe I could do something similar uh, and I have been thinking about that but I've been struggling to find actually what I could teach because because I'm the other side of my current customer, so who knows if that will change? Because I'm the other side of the of the coin kind of thing. So the the product feature flux is for product managers, and the product is to help them obviously take the designs from the product team and turn those into presentations and gather um, stakeholder feedback and the the sort of feedback cycle. Um, so I'm one side of that with the product design, should we say? But I'm not the the actual target customer. So I've been struggling to actually think what it is I could help them with, you know, um, in, in some kind of webinar format kind of thing. Could you help them uh, with like how to structure those presentations to stakeholders? I liken product managers to developers. They're very um, systems orientated and they believe in what they believe. You know, we mentioned, I think, on one of the podcasts that you, you could you could start a war by saying that this language is better than the, another language between developers and and so I, I think i i think of product managers in a similar in a similar way so i'm not sure you know because obviously depending on the situation depending on the stakeholder and depending on the kind of meeting they're given the uh, the needs and outcomes could be different so i i don't know I, even there i would struggle to say you know this is a good way to because i think I, I don't know how well that would go over. I don't know. Yeah. And since you are still, you know, early in the journey is that you yeah. haven't had the chance to talk to many customers. So you're, you're sort of guessing, you're trying to guess what they might need. And then there's a lot of work in putting together a presentation, yeah. promoting it and all that stuff. And what if it's I would, yeah. wasted Yeah. And I would love to, but I think at this moment, at, the, at, the, at this moment in time, it is just too early for me to, for me to know. Yeah. And I think it's still got to be this kind of outreach so until I can get something solid. So yeah, it's very difficult for me to try that at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's, yeah, so that's the other one which is focused on community building. And then the last one he says is to go after competitors. So try to convince competitors' customers to move over to you. So obviously How do you people... feel about that? <laughs> well, I don't know do how any, I feel about it. Do you have it. any competitors? Direct competitors? Client portal... I mean, I'd say the only thing I could do, because basically what he's saying is people are looking to bring their costs down, right? So they're they're open to switching if the cost is less or they're going to get more value out of it. Now, for Client Portal, there's not actually a ton of competitors. So there's not many people who actually just create a client portal, and that's just what it is. My closest competitors are more project management tools. But there are a lot of people, I would imagine, like myself back when I was freelancing, who were using and paying for project management tools, but not getting what they needed out of them. So there's a ton of features, yeah. a massive learning curve for their clients. They maybe didn't have a team behind them, which is where I think project management tools thrive. If you have an internal team for your company, I don't actually necessarily think clients should 
be involved in project management software. Um, so there are potentially a, a lot of people who don't need their project management tool and would benefit from client portal, which would be less money for them. But so obviously he's suggesting, you know, to, to go to them, to do outreach and try to help them and then eventually can convince them to switch over to you. I don't think that makes sense for client portal. Well, firstly, I think I'm a little bit too timid to actually do that at the minute. I'm not saying it's, it just seems a bit like, Oh, I don't know. Um, too British. Yeah. I'm too British to do that. But secondly, I think this is, this would be more valuable for, um, software companies with a really high lifetime value. So things like email software, where once you're in it, you need that forever. For as long as your business is in business, you need, Mm. for for me, ConvertKit. So for someone to spend a lot of time trying to convert a customer for an ESP would make sense because over the course of that thing, they would would probably make a ton of money because as you grow, they give you more money. Um, It makes sense. But for Client Portal... Um, the pricing, I don't have the usage pricing that we talked about earlier. I have lifetime licenses, which could be worth it. But again, I just don't necessarily think the amount of time I would need to put into that. I don't think it would be worth my time, but that's just a guess. Um, but I think the um, the comment he makes about competitors' customers, well, everyone's customers, are reevaluating their costs it makes me think of the the Gumroad thing a few months back when Gumroad decided they were going to do this crazy price hike. Gumroad users were very upset and up in arms, and there was this immediate, um, like, where should we go to? Where should we go? Um, and there was a big, I think, them and Squeezy was one of the big ones that took up a lot of the customers. So I think in that kind of scenario, if you could have your finger on the on the button, so to speak, when one of these larger project managements. Uh, systems did something similar you know uh, i think it, in that sense that might be an easier play because all you need is you know something social uh someone tweeting out hey you know we're all going over to, to client portal or whatever and i think in that sense it could be a lot easier yeah i think that makes sense because you are like the gumroad thing was pretty bad to be honest i mean i looked into why they did it and and i i felt for the founder um and you know that I kind of understood it, I guess, from a business perspective. But it was, it was huge the change they made. And I have products on Gumroad, and it's painful. Like it's really, really painful. So yeah, I think doing something like that makes a lot of sense. Just trying to, just trying to stay on top of things. And I guess I would say like having a bit of a strategy. Like what would you do if that happened? So I had something where a WordPress plugin that was kind of like a client portal plugin um, shut down. And I started getting a lot of emails, people saying, you know, we're thinking of moving over to you. Like, how do you, like, how does it work? And I tried to get in touch with the um, plugin owner to see if they wanted to do some kind of affiliate thing to, you know, mm. help their customers move over to client portal. But I never heard back. So I guess they weren't really interested. Um, but I sort of look back on that and I wish I did more, but I didn't know, I didn't know what their plugin really did. I was aware of them, but I wasn't. I kind of wish I'd have like maybe signed up for a trial or something or even just bought the plugin for a while just to see what they were doing. So when that happened, I would have been able to better help people and say, okay, these are the differences, blah, blah, blah. Um, So that would have been good. So having those, because I think he talks about updating your landing pages where it's like competitor versus your tool. 
or mm. you know listing out the differences i think that's quite a valuable thing to do even just so you know when people ask you or if something like that happened how you can how yours compares but i i didn't do that so i kind of regretted that one of the final points he made within that was that um most of your competitors customers don't know you exist and I think that's so often true as well. I mean, obviously we've got those listicle posts around everywhere if you're lucky enough to be in one of those. But I think oftentimes it's still the case that many people or many customers from other uh, existing software, they, they don't know they don't know who you are. You know, they, they don't know there's another option. And I'm sure like the few that reached out to you when that WordPress um, plugin was closing down, for the few that reached out, there were probably hundreds, if not thousands that thought, what the hell are we going to do now? You know, what's my option? Yeah, which is why I really wish they did something with me where I could just do like a webinar to them or something and show them around. But oh, well, never mind. So the last point that he makes up to this point, and really the last point in general is, um, he says one, a pushback that you'll get if you do decide to do this, go after competitors, customers, is that they'll say, oh, I got an annual plan and I've like just renewed it. I've got like nine months left. And he said, just offer, give them nine months of your product for free. Um, so they're not paying any more or anything like that. And then they get to, you know, use use your product, get to know it. And it kind of gives you, makes you look good and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was quite a nice tip if you ever do decide to do that. Not that I think we've established I'm really going to look into that an awful lot. But I think that thread was just, I just really liked it because even without a recession, I think a lot of those points were quite valid and things that I should be doing oh, for anyway. Sure, yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, getting through a recession, just having like a bit of an outline of, you know, the things to focus on. So don't focus on necessarily new customers. Don't do giant sales. Instead, build like your community and um try and get your ex try and keep your existing customers that should be your focus and just ride it out just like hold tight cut your expenses don't go under survive it and then when you come out the other end hopefully i mean i'll be able to tell you hopefully soon i don't know when <laughs> that it was all worth it and it all worked out really well so um yeah i really enjoyed that thread it was good yeah for sure. And funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast just this morning and they were talking about when these larger sort of larger SaaS are, you know, saying about maybe they're making between five and 10 million a year or something like that. But they're still always talking about sales, 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 sales. We need to get more people in. Whereas if you're making between five and 10 million, well, let's worry more about the customers you have and let's take care of those and let's go into the expansion revenue and the add-ons. And so then you're not, you know, it's, it's, it's a different game. It's a different, uh, a different mentality to just uh, try and grow, should we say, from within, as opposed to these customers that especially now who are dropping out of the bottom of the, the funnel or just not buying anything. Um, it makes more sense than ever to find ways to keep those, those, those customers happy and, uh, yeah, those add-ons and expansions and education, you know, and, and all those good things. So, yeah, there's loads yeah. of stuff in there. Yeah, so I think that's a really good place to end it. Hopefully that's been somewhat positive and uplifting as at what could be potentially a dark and depressing subject. So if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear when new episodes are released, you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice. And if you really enjoyed this episode, um, please do consider leaving us a review. It's so helpful. Like I say, we're still an early podcast really. And um, I think reviews are just the best way to help podcasts like ours reach new people. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you and goodbye.